this is Stacey Hillier and you are listening to the Prophetic Collective Podcast. Well, welcome back everybody to the podcast and today I want to talk about something that's been on my heart for just the last couple of months probably because of the season that I'm in individually, the season we're in as a church right now. You would know by now that I'm a part of Numa Church here in Melbourne, but we also have locations in Perth, Hobart, uh, San Francisco, and in Bangkok, Thailand. And we've got four locations across the city of Melbourne as well. Just counting those in my head, I think that's right. But we're in a magnificent season as a church. About 14 to 15 weeks ago now, We just saw God really visit us in a very special and significant way. And we have been stewarding that move of God since. We're seeing miraculous healings. We're up to 10 cancer patients completely healed, proven with scans and doctor's reports. We're seeing people leave crutches at the altar. Just incredible things happening. People's lives transformed in the presence of God. And I've got to say, I feel like a different person. Being made more like Christ every day, we're spending a lot of time in His presence. We've done up to 40 revival meetings. We've spent well over 100 hours in the presence of the Lord. And we've had to change things in the natural, but I just sense the invitation of the Lord to myself, and I believe to others who may be listening today, to really just be aware of my response to the presence, to not become overly familiar with God's presence. And that's really what I'm going to speak about today. And I shared a similar message with our church family recently, but I do feel like this is a message for the church at the moment, particularly for prophetic people, because we spend a lot of time in God's presence. We have to. We love to, we get to, because that's where we receive the revelation that we report here on earth. And we love God's presence. Sometimes loving God's presence and living a lifestyle of intimacy can quickly become over familiarity. And so I guess I just want to present an encouragement today to us as a prophetic community to never grow overly familiar with the presence of Jesus. So I'm going to start with scripture. That's a great place to start. This is Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read six verses and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, He, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You know, because of the season we're in, the types of books I'm reading has changed. And I've just recently finished the God's Generals series, and it's been absolutely inspiring reading the stories of people like Amy Semple McPherson, John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman, these incredible, incredible generals for the Lord. And some of them succumbed to the pitfalls of power and success. Some of them burnt out, failed marriages, 
Some of their lives were even cut short with uh, accusation. For example, Dowie, you know, he died under a really a cloak of suspicion and accusation as he lost his way theologically towards the end and built his own city called Zion. It's really full on, actually, if you read it, but it's not uncommon as you read these men and women of God. And there were those who lasted the distance and glorified Jesus until the very end, but none of them were perfect. And as I've sat back and I guess looked at the pattern of their lives and gone, you know, Lord, what might you want to say to me today through their lives? I felt like the defining factor in their lives long term was their response to the presence of Jesus. Did they honor the presence at the end and in the middle, the same way as they did in the beginning? Or did they grow overly familiar with the presence? And the passage I just read you, and one of the things that I am noticing in my own life And as I look at people around me, perhaps even just who've grown up in church or who are in a season like we're in right now where we're spending multiple hours in the manifest presence of Jesus, here's what I notice. Familiarity can cause us to question what once left us astonished. In that passage we just read, verse 2, it says that Jesus on the Sabbath began to teach in the synagogue and that many who heard him were astonished underline that word. They were astonished and they were saying, where did this man get these things? What's the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? But there's a real shift because here they are, wow, we're astonished. And in the very next verse, they start to reason with their minds what they're seeing in the supernatural. They say, hang on, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Remembering this is Jesus' hometown. These people know him very well. So we see in these two little verses right beside one another that at first they're like, wow, look at the supernatural that's happening through Jesus. But their familiarity with him, the fact that they had relationship with him, led them to question the manifestations that were coming through him. So there's a couple of things in their questioning that I want us to notice before we face some questions ourselves. Firstly, they say, is this not or is not this the carpenter? In other words, they're like, hey, we actually know his job. We know he's a tradie. Carpenter, in the context of the time, either meant someone who worked with wood or a stonemason. They're saying, we know who he is. We know he wasn't even trained under a rabbi. So how is it that he's here teaching us these things and we're seeing signs and wonders come through him? In other words, they're saying Jesus is way too ordinary for this to happen. They were so familiar that the extraordinary appeared ordinary to them. So they were tripped up by his ordinariness. Then they also say, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, what they were saying here, this stands out biblically because normally when we're listing the genealogy, we say they're the son of and then list the father. Whenever it lists the woman, the Bible's trying to tell us something significant. You can see this in the Matthew genealogy of Jesus. The women that it names is basically showing the redemption story of Jesus' life, of his family line before him. There's this redemption thread running through that of these beautiful women, which is a whole other study. But here, the reason they're saying, is this not the son of Mary? Scholars will tell us not because Joseph was dead, but because they were actually saying he was illegitimate. In other words, they didn't believe Mary that the Holy Spirit came on her and that she conceived a son. 
they believed that Jesus was illegitimate. And so their familiarity around his ordinariness and his legitimacy caused questions about what originally left them astonished. Isn't that amazing? I think we need to guard that we do not begin to question what once left us astonished because we've become too familiar with the presence of Jesus. Let me give you an example from my own life. You know, this move of God started for us in something we're affectionately now calling Super Bowl Sunday. And I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but it was the day after our revival conference. Our morning services basically didn't stop. There's a very small gap between the first and the second, but then really we finished up or left the building at 9.15 that night. So about 12 hours in the presence with just these waves of God's presence where people didn't leave the meeting. In fact, they were texting people, you got to get here from other locations and people were just streaming in and God was just moving beautifully. Well, I hadn't looked at the footage of that, but recently my friend Joel and I looked at the footage of worship from that day because it was so significant and so amazing. And as we looked back on it, guess what stood out to both of us? How ordinary it was. It was completely ordinary. I kind of thought that when I looked back at it, we might see like angels dancing around the room or hear choirs of angels, but no, it was just him and I and the worship team, and it was not perfect. It was completely ordinary. And I found myself asking this question, was that actually really that amazing? Or have we hyped this up? Was this all in my head? And then I caught myself, this is how I've landed on this teaching today. I had begun to question what left me completely astonished in the moment. That's how quickly and how easily it happens. So I'm discovering that we get to choose our response to his presence. Well, the ordinariness of the vessels (laughs) and the moments and the legitimacy of Jesus' manifest presence trip you up, or are we going to stay astonished? Because this passage in my life is teaching us right now that familiarity can be an obstacle to greater depths of his presence and to manifestations of his power. Verse 3 of that passage I read says that they took offense at him. They took offense at Jesus. And this word offense in the Greek means stumbling block. It literally means to cause to stumble. And in the context of this scripture, it means actually to be put off or to be repelled by Jesus. They were so familiar with him that they were repelled by him. That's powerful. This particular word actually appears eight times in the Gospel of Mark. And each time it speaks of obstructions that prevented people from coming up close and personal in faith to Jesus. And in this case, it was their familiarity that literally tripped them up, became a stumbling block to their experience of his presence. And it actually repelled the manifestations of his power that he could and had been doing in other places right before he came here. Verse 5 says that he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Matthew 13.58, which is Matthew's account of this same incident where Jesus went to his hometown, Matthew says he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief or because of their offense. So isn't it interesting? Think about this with me for a moment. You cannot receive what you are offended by. We cannot receive what we're offended by. Stay with me. When we're offended by the way Jesus is moving, 
It literally puts a fence, and I mean now A-F-E-N-C-E, think about it like this with me for a moment, a fence, a wall, a blockage, a stumbling block in between us and God's presence and power. And it all originates with familiarity. So this could be a fence with the ordinariness of the vessels God's using. You know, the people God's using in this move of God at Numa, we're completely ordinary. We're not pretending to be anything but. We're fallen, we're human, we have moments. And so if people sit back and go, how is God using them and get offended by the fact that he is using them, or perhaps even get jealous of who God's using, then they can't receive our ministry (laughs) because you can't receive what you're offended by. If we're offended with the manifestations, we're seeing some crazy weird things that I can't wrap my human mind around, but how could I wrap my human mind around what's totally supernatural? If I get offended by the fact that there's these new and unusual manifestations, I won't be able to receive what Jesus is doing in the room. If I get offended with people's hunger, there's a lot of hunger in the room right now that's confronting. If I get offended by that, I won't be able to receive how Jesus is moving in the room. And I could keep on going. You might have your own. But if we're not careful, we end up offended with Jesus himself and then what happens is he walks into the room and we can't receive him. The sad thing about that is we might really need a healing. (laughs) We might really need a whisper from Jesus, but we're offended by something else happening in the room that is a result of his presence and therefore we can't receive of his presence. And we see this so clearly in this passage. Jesus was there wanting to move for them. These were people he knew and he loved. He wanted to do mighty works for them, but they were so familiar, our passage literally says they became offended at Jesus and therefore they could not receive of his presence and the signs and wonders of power ministry he wanted to do for them. Hey listeners, did you know that Stacey also has a guided prayers podcast? Contemplative prayer is a biblical and rich practice that helps us to step out of the hustle and to silence the noise, to hear God's voice, and to let his word dwell richly in us, transforming us from the inside out. With a new guided prayer released monthly, you too can discover the rich treasures of contemplative Christian practices. Find it wherever you listen to your podcasts by searching for Guided Prayers with Stacey Hillier. Now, back to Stace. So before we know it, there can be an obstacle between us and his presence and his power. And then we wonder why we feel distant or why we feel nothing at all. Here's the thing. Familiarity breeds complacency, contempt and control. And I'm going to touch on a few other biblical passages now, and I encourage you to look at them in your own time. But when it comes to familiarity breeding complacency, contempt and control, One of the stories I immediately think of is 1 Samuel 2, which is Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They were the original PKs. You know, we talk about PKs today, pastor's kids, of which I'm one. But these were the priest kids, the original PKs. They were raised in the priesthood to be priests. They were priests themselves. And yet 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, it's a very sad little verse actually. It says that these priests raised in the house did not know the Lord. They knew of the Lord but they did not know him intimately. They were the teachers of God's law. They officiated at his sacrifices. They got to go into the holy of holies where other people did not get to go, 
where other priests would fall down under the power of God's presence. And yet this scripture tells us they didn't know him. They were so familiar with God's word, with God's house and God's presence, that they took it for granted. And they began to violate his instructions. They began to take of the people's offerings, whatever they wanted. And they knew this was wrong according to Torah. But they were so overly familiar with God's house and his presence, his people and with the sacrifice. They actually took what was meant to be holy and they used it to serve themselves. When we think about that, it's actually amazing how quickly and easily that happens to us. The things like worship that are meant to be a sacrifice, an offering to God. If we become overly familiar with God's house and with his word and with his people and with his presence, we can actually twist worship to serve us. Did I like the songs today? What did I get out of worship today? Doesn't it just happen so easily? Verse 17 of 1 Samuel 2 says that Phineas and Hophni treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. You see, when we take what is intended to be offered to God, like our worship, which I just mentioned, and we become complacent and we make it about us, it's actually biblically contempt. None of us would ever want to be contemptuous towards Jesus and towards his presence, but it happens, doesn't it? Bill Johnson said this, the devil doesn't mind complacent worship because it deadens our sensitivities to the Holy Spirit of God. Here's another example. I think about Uzzah. David wants to bring the Ark of God's presence into Jerusalem. And we know that the Ark of God's presence represented God's manifest presence on the earth in the Old Testament. And David wants to bring the Ark into Jerusalem very early in his reign. And this is a sign that his reign is going to be about worship and reestablishing worship. Now, the Ark had been in Abinadab's house for 20 years under King Saul's reign. And Abinadab had sons who'd grown up with the Ark of the Presence in their house, in their home. I mean, who knows? Maybe it was in one of their bedrooms. Think about the context of the time and the way houses were constructed. They would have lived in very close quarters to the Ark of the Presence. And Uzzah is one of Abinadad's sons who grew with this Ark for 20 years in his home. He was very familiar with the Ark. We all know the story. The procession is bringing the Ark of the Presence in and Abinadab and his sons because they know how to handle the Ark. They know what to do with it. They are there helping King David bring the Ark into Jerusalem. But an oxen stumbles. And guess who's so familiar with the Ark of the Presence that they reach out to touch it? That's right, Uzzah. He controls the movement of the presence or what is symbolic of the presence. He seeks to control how the presence is moving and he dies on the spot. What's the takeaway for us from this metaphor? When we seek to steady or control the movement of the presence or the flow of the Holy Spirit, because we've become familiar with it, we think we know what we're doing. Oh yeah, I've lived with this. I know what's going on. We step into very dangerous territory. Think back to our passage, verse 3 of Mark 6. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? You can hear how familiarity bred contempt and complacency for them. And eventually it meant they controlled his power out of their town. <laughs> you see, familiarity is dishonouring to the presence of Jesus. But I am discovering in this season that it's childlike wonder that breeds honour for the presence. Childlike wonder. You know, about six weeks ago, I was at the altar 
encountering the Lord and there were so many of our beautiful family, church family with us. And I went into this vision where I saw a beautiful adult bride dressed in a gorgeous spotless white gown. And I knew this was a metaphor for the bride of Christ. And she was twirling or just swaying her dress in the presence of Jesus. And then the image became twofold. It would flick like one of those cards that you sometimes get where you move it slightly and the image changes. This was what was happening in my vision. So there was the adult bride in her spotless gown and then it would shift and there was this little girl, maybe five, six years old, four, five, six, in a little princess gown twirling before her father. I was saying, Lord, what are you saying through this vision? He was saying to me, he loves it when his bride responds with childlike wonder when he shows up. (laughs) I love that. In fact, I believe it's a sign of her readiness for reunion. That perhaps what we have thought Christian maturity looks like that would ready us for the return of our saviour is actually upside down and inside out. Wouldn't that just be the way of the kingdom? That in fact, one of the signs of maturity in the kingdom is our ability to be childlike in his presence. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I love that. You know, for us, our dad loves it when we just respond as his kids when he comes into the room. In Mark 10, just a few chapters over, it says they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. The disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Do not put a fence. Do not put an obstacle in front of them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. I love that in this passage, the disciples were looking for the children to become like them, like, come on, grow up. But Jesus was looking for the disciples to become like the children. I believe with all of my heart when it comes to a response to his presence today, Jesus is looking for prophets who will become like the children, live in childlike wonder in his presence for all their days. So what does it look like to be childlike in response to his presence? Let me give you just a few points as we begin to wrap up. People with a childlike posture view Jesus like he's the only person in a crowded room. (laughs) I think about my daughter when her dad enters the room. It can be the most crowded room. She sees nobody else. That's how it's meant to be for us with Jesus. Forget the manifestations. Forget everybody else around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus like he's the only person in the room. People with childlike posture live with wonder rather than cynicism. (laughs) Don't you love that? They don't lose that sense of astonishment. They're like, oh my goodness, what's happening now? No. Wow, look what's happening now. People with a childlike posture are always saying, wow, not how. Oh, I love that one. People with a childlike posture trust their father deeply rather than doubting. This was one of the main uh, points of this passage where Jesus was speaking to his disciples. I want you to trust me like children trust their parents. People with a childlike posture enjoy receiving from their father without feeling like they have to work to deserve what he wants to give. This is a season where God's giving good gifts to his kids and we don't have to work for them. He just wants to give them. We have to learn how to receive. People with a childlike posture carry joy, even when they're being refined and reformed. This season we're in, in our church right now and across the church, across the earth, things are being refined and shifted and it's intense, right? But guess what? There can be joy in it. There is joy in it. People with a childlike posture are led by their hearts and not their heads. 
And people with a childlike posture are free in the Father's presence rather than bound by fear of man. So what you honour in your life will multiply in your life. (laughs) Oh, tweet that. What you honour in your life will multiply in your life. So you get to choose your response to his presence today. Familiarity in the world breeds contempt, but in the kingdom, familiarity can breed honour and intimacy if we retain a childlike spirit and posture. And this is what I believe God's saying to the church right now. There's a lot going on that we could be distracted with. And he's pouring out his presence in a magnificent way for us to deny through familiarity, the moving of his power would be the fulfillment of what Paul wrote in one of his letters to his spiritual son, Timothy, that in the last days, there would be a form of godliness that would deny his power. I believe that that's the Antichrist spirit. It's a form of godliness that denies his power. And I don't want anything to do with it. I want Jesus to come and bring all that he is. When he comes, he heals. And when he comes, he restores. And when he comes, our physical bodies have a response. When he comes, we must respond to his presence with childlike wonder. Because then we honour his presence in our life and his presence multiplies in our life. We honour his gifts to us and his gifts to us multiply. We honour, we honour, we honour, and then it multiplies. I want to finish by posing this question to you. What could Jesus have done in his hometown for a people he loved more deeply than anybody else? These people had a special place in Jesus' heart because of the relational familiarity. He wanted to move for them more than others. You can't tell me he didn't want to heal every sick person in his hometown more than he wanted to heal anywhere else because he loved them. When you're a person who's intimate with Jesus and you become a friend of God, like Moses or Abraham were, God wants to move for you. Your heart becomes like Jesus' hometown. He wants to move for you. So as prophetic people today who are called to live in intimacy and in his presence, I'm inviting you to remain aware of your response to his presence. Let's never become overly familiar. Let's stay childlike. Stay in wonder in response. Stay in astonishment to his presence because what we honour in our lives will multiply in our lives. And as we near the end of 2022, heading into a brand new year, I'm believing for multiplication in your life. So Father, I thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for what you're teaching us today. Thank you for that vision of a bride and a little girl just dwelling in her father's presence. We receive that. Teach us to be childlike in your presence. Help us to stay in wonder. Help us to stay in astonishment. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. We honor you. We want our love for you to multiply as we honor you. Bless every listener today. Give them even greater revelation. Apply it to their lives. Show them what it's like to live in this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, next week, last episode, and I'm also going to uncover or reveal or share. Oh, so intense. Guys, I'm just going to tell you the plans for 2023 for season three of the Prophetic Collective. It's going to be epic. Hey, thanks for your grace for being flexible. While I haven't delivered every week, while I'm figuring out how to steward revival in my household and in my life, so grateful you've stuck with me. 
Next year, 2023, we're going to get back to weekly podcasts and it's going to be epic. I'll talk more about that next week where I share some of my 2022 favorite things. Love ya.